I'm, uh, I'm Mike McNichols, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning. I think that most of us have probably heard the old saying, hurry up and wait. Uh, I feel like I got graduate education in waiting this week as I took my 93-year-old dad from one doctor's appointment to another all week, culminating in 11 hours of waiting in the emergency wing of a hospital last night. I think I've gotten really good at waiting. Now, most people think that that saying <clears throat> has uh, military roots, that it comes from people in the armed forces who have been required on orders to move from one place to the next, uh, only finding that they just have to sit around and wait for things to happen. And uh, as a young man, I spent four years in the Navy, and I learned that hurry up and wait wasn't just a saying, it was actually, in that context, a way of life. I spent most of my Navy years right here in Southern California, so the old adage of join the Navy and see the world did not apply to me at all. And along with the people I worked with, I was required to show up every single morning at a specified time, and I was not allowed to leave until the end of the day, as you would expect with most jobs. But we might go for weeks, even months on end, with absolutely nothing to do. No significant activity whatsoever, and yet we were still required to show up and wait. After all, we were told anything could happen. Well, something did happen. We got word in 1975 that a typhoon had decimated the island of Guam, where there was and still is a significant military presence in the, for the U.S., and my job at the time was to arrange travel for Navy Seabees. Those are the construction workers of the Navy. And so in very short order, I had to make sure that a large number of troops were transported by air to Guam so they could start rebuilding. And in that experience, I, I began to realize that the waiting really was for something. Well, today, as we reflect on the ascension of Jesus and the narrative that surrounds it in our texts, we're, we're drawn into the time of waiting that was experienced by the disciples after Jesus left them, after he departed. And unlike the kind of waiting that military people typically experience, the waiting of the disciples wasn't a just-in-case kind of a waiting. But instead, it was a waiting that was focused on hope. Jesus spent time with his disciples following his resurrection, and he spoke to them, it appears, at length over 40 days about the kingdom of God. And so the, the question that was put to him is, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Speaks of, of the disciples' hope that all that Jesus had taught them, all that they had experienced with Jesus about the kingdom of God was about to happen. It was about to take place. But Jesus doesn't really cooperate with the question. He doesn't hand them a sort of timetable for what God is going to do. Nor does he attempt to make any corrections to their question in the first place about, about the kingdom and Israel. Now, some might say that the disciples have once again completely missed the point of what's going on here. But after 40 days of, of time with Jesus where he spoke about the kingdom, uh, including the three years prior to that, uh, such obtuseness is probably unlikely. God was indeed going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but in a way that was more, not less, than what the disciples had expected. In fact, there needed to be a reframing of the words restore and kingdom and Israel. See, there, there would be restoration, but it wouldn't be a return to Israel's 
former glory in times past, it would be a new orientation toward the purposes and intentions of God for the sake of the world. And this restoration would indeed result in the kingdom, but this would not be a kingdom of human construction that lives for national power and international competition. It would be the kingdom of God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And Israel would become a people defined and shaped by faith rather than by ethnicity or by religious legalism. And the disciples, very understandably, would like to know if all of this is going to happen right now. And Jesus just says, wait. Have you ever noticed that when you're waiting, something or someone is always missing? Think about it. You have a long wait, oh, say, in a doctor's office, just to pull a real hypothetical thing out of thin air here. The one who's missing during the waiting is the doctor. Or, or you're, you're waiting for an important phone call. What's missing is the ring of the telephone. Waiting always seems to involve the absence of the person or thing that is the whole reason for the waiting in the first place. But the waiting that Jesus required was different than that. The waiting was different because the disciples may not have clearly known what they were waiting for, except that it had something to do with power. Jesus told them that they would be overcome, that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then the two mysterious men in white, angels, we must assume, tell them that Jesus will return in the same way that he left. So what exactly were they waiting for? What would be the nature of this power that Jesus spoke of? Did the words about Jesus returning mean that he was gonna be immediately right back with them in just a few minutes if they would just hang on for a while? Well, without knowing the clear outcome, all the disciples could do was wait. I've noticed that there's a lot of waiting going on in the Bible. The ancient Israelites, the ancient Hebrew people are, are waiting to be rescued from their slavery in Egypt. And then later, hundreds of years after that, they're waiting to be released from exile. Faithful people wait for the day of the Lord when all things will be set right and God will once again rule Israel as king. And very early on, Jesus' own disciples wait for him to do something that would fulfill their expectations about the role of a proper Messiah. Well, we have a lot of that too, really, don't we? A lot of waiting that we do. We're waiting for things to shape up in the world. We're waiting for our families to get their acts together. Or we might be waiting for something really good to happen. Or perhaps dreading the next catastrophe that we're just sure is on our horizon somewhere. Waiting always requires some level of patience. And for many of us, patience feels like suffering. That's the kind of waiting that patience is. It's like suffering, which makes sense because our English word patience comes from a Latin word that literally means suffering. But no matter what, we're usually waiting for something and we're maybe even suffering in the process. And whatever it is we're waiting for, it's typically absent as we wait. As Jesus' disciples waited, they were already occupying a new space. Jesus had drawn them into the reality of God's kingdom, and they had already experienced that kingdom in a variety of ways. And whether they realized it or not, when Jesus departed them from them, he had left them in a whole new reality. You see, Jesus lived as a real human being. And in that life, he both proclaimed and demonstrated the reality of the kingdom of God. He spoke of it through his, his teaching. 
He demonstrated it through signs and wonders. And he also died as real human beings do. And his death being the inevitable conclusion of a real, authentic human life. And in his resurrection and ultimately in his ascension, Jesus brought the earthly into the heavenly, the space of, of human life entering fully into the space that is God's. As the man Jesus ascended in his resurrection earthly body to the very heart of God the Father. So for the disciples, nothing would ever be the same. Even the waiting space would have been filled with something new. Yes, Jesus was, was no longer physically with them, but when it came to Jesus, presence and absence would not necessarily be opposite experiences. As will be revisited next week, Pentecost Sunday, presence and absence did take on new meaning for the disciples. What Jesus promised came to pass in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the space of God now invaded the space of humans. And along with the promise of the Spirit, Jesus also claimed that this promise would include power, a power that would wrap around them like a garment. You know, to be honest, when it comes to waiting, I usually prefer power over patience. I mean, I don't, I don't mind waiting as long as I feel like I have power over the situation. Then I do not have to be patient any longer. I just have to be in control. That's the problem of waiting in a doctor's office. You're not in control of anything. That's a powerless situation. The power of control is enticing and, and it's difficult to resist. It's when the control begins to unravel that I either have to live in anxiety or rest in the waiting. One of those is easier to slip into than the other. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You know, it seems like the church, the church universal throughout its history, has always struggled to understand its relationship to power. From the days of Emperor Constantine going back 1,700 years to the present, followers of Jesus have, have too often sought power in the wrong places, very often political, military, economic places. And those places of control are indeed powerful, but they aren't the places where the people of God exhibit the power promised by God the Father, sent to us by Jesus. And we too, as, as individuals, often struggle to understand our relationship to power. Now, most of us deal with the, the particularities of power rather than the whole national and global power narratives that we see and hear every single day. We're trying to find power over more local things, the adversity that we're dealing with, uh, difficult relationships, broken expectations, e even perhaps our own perceived sense of disempowerment in the places of, of work and home and school and, and whatever. But the power that Jesus promised to his disciples was a power that came not as a result of the waiting, as if the waiting was some kind of a, of a qualifier for power, if somehow you earned power in the waiting. The waiting time that they experienced was a kind of pause between earth meeting heaven in Jesus' ascension and heaven meeting earth in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And whether they understood it at the time or not, the evidence of what God would one day bring to fulfillment completely was now in process. And as the Apostle Paul would say in his letter to the Ephesians, God set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet Earth. You know, I can't help but wonder what it was 
like for the disciples to occupy this space of both presence and absence, waiting and promise. And Jesus had left them, but according to John's gospel, he'd already breathed the life of the Holy Spirit on them. The very life-giving Spirit of God was already present in their lives. And as they waited for the promise of the Spirit's power that would soon come upon them, they had already become a new kind of people. Through Jesus, they were becoming the new, born-from-above people of God, about to receive power that would result in bearing witness to the kingdom, announcing forgiveness of sins, and participating in all of the works that Jesus had already been doing. For them, nothing would ever be the same as it was. Of course, some things remained the same. They still retained their socioeconomic statuses. They, they were still subject to the oppression of the Roman Empire and marginalization by the dominant religious community. But those things no longer had the power to define who they were or to define their mission in the world. In the waiting, they were being transferred from one citizenship to another, where power would be a gift for the sake of others rather than a hammer being used to subjugate others. Well, for us, while we live historically on the other side of the ascension, even the other side of Pentecost, we still wait for God's intentions in the world, don't we? But we do that waiting in the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. It may be true that there are difficulties facing us. It may be true that there are all kinds of, of counter-narratives that attempt to define us. And yet we've been given the power to confront those things as the people of God, a people living in the space where heaven and earth meet, the space where Jesus' physical absence and the Spirit's presence both draw us into oneness with God the Father. You know, in our celebration of the ascension of Jesus, we're not simply marking a theological milestone in the life of the church. We are being invited to engage anew with the one who has gone before us, enacting the ultimate intentions and purposes of God through his own body, through Jesus' birth, his life, his suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so we face once again the possibility of, of re-embracing our identity as God's people, a people rebirthed by God through Jesus, filled with his spirit, and no longer encumbered or dominated by all the powers that are not God. It's true that there will still be waiting for us, but it will be a waiting that's characterized by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's pause as I pray for us. God, for those gathered today whose waiting is characterized by anxiety, I ask that in a fresh new way, you reveal the presence of your Spirit with them. That in that sense that something that they are waiting for is missing. May they suddenly open their eyes and ears to the reality that is your spirit present with them now. And for all of us, Lord, who are always waiting for something, may you draw us into the rest that is the waiting that is focused on our hope in you. Will you disempower all of the forces that seek to draw our attention to fear and catastrophe and loss? and open our eyes to the identity you have granted to us as your people, filled with your spirit, that we might confront all the powers with the grace and truth that comes from you. 
And this we pray in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.